it's that time of the week again. It's episode number 12 for the Empowered Women's Podcast. My name is Amanda and I'm joined yet again on this episode with my lovely friend, uh, Sherry. She joined me last time back on episode 9 or 10, I think it was. Can't remember the, the number. It was only a couple of episodes ago. But we did speak about how she once had a massive crush on me, didn't really, nothing really came of it. We're still really good <laughs> friends and that's all that matters. Welcome back, you babe. Suck. Hi, babe. Thanks for having me back. Hey, babe. All the way from Sydney. Here we are, straight from lockdown. Well, we said that we were going to basically be a regular thing now on the podcast, which I thought is really good because you're very sort of expressive and you love political view and you've always got an opinion on things in a really positive way. And I love how we feed off each other. So we'll probably jump on the podcast at least once a month or so. Oh, that um, sounds fun. Yeah. So today we said we were going to talk about how gay women like to chase straight women. <clears throat> mm, the thrill of the chase. The thrill yes. of the chase. And why we're addicted to the dating chase. Yeah. <laughs> Amen, honey. <laughs> Before we do get stuck into it, though, how's your week been? How are you going in lockdown? You know, uh, I am loving it. And then there are some parts where I'm just like, I'm going freaking insane. And in this particular hour, I'm so Mm. depressed and I'm going to off myself. And then I'm just like, oh, hey, go sit in the sun, get your vitamin D. (laughs) And and, how are you loving it? I don't get how you're loving it. Because, so this is the thing about me. Um, When I was much younger, I was such an extrovert like I really really need to feed off of people's energy and and like it was you know like in the last podcast you were talking about how you know people of our type of sexual orientation and whatnot didn't get a lot of attention growing up from parents so on and so forth Mm -hmm. so you know I grew up to be someone who really needed like the attention and the energies of other people to function to riff off to be happy um, and something's kind of happened to me over the last couple of years where just the, like, people tire me. Mm. Um, so having that time away from people has just been really, really good for my mental health. It's mm. been good for my uh, my inner sanctum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been able to focus a lot on my health, do a lot of reflection. I'm playing guitar again, um, you know, like just for myself yeah. and being able to stay away from people has been, it really is the reason why I'm loving it. Yeah. Yeah. It's refreshing. Um, Especially, you know, with my career change, uh, like I am around people again. So like, it's just such polar opposites. You know, when I was, Mm. when I moved out of lecturing into graphic design, that was so insular that I used to get so depressed because I didn't have anyone to talk to because I was just the designer, you know? Yeah. Um, but then going back into education, uh, I'm just like, oh my God, wow, too much, too much, too much, too, too many much people. Stimulus. Yeah, way mm. too much. So it's just a really nice break. But um I think it's gonna get real if we don't get out in summer, because I live in I live in Sydney's southwest. It's like an hour to the beach mm. and I don't cope when I'm not near water. 
So first world problems, but yeah, no. But still, I mean, it's it's all about lifestyle and being able to enjoy what you should be actually have freedom for. So well, yeah, yeah. But it's also one of my coping mechanisms to be able to go to the water when I'm feeling any type of emotion and just like soak in. Hey, I, I sound like a freak, but soak in that energy, just the salt air and the waves and everything is just calming. It completely changes me. So yeah, it's going to be going to be a bit of a, a bummer not to be able to go there. Mm. So what's the, I guess just very quickly, then we'll jump out of this topic, but what is the update on the whole Sydney lockdown situation? Oh, what is the update? Oh, my gosh. What is not the update? <laughs> that is really the I question. I just don't want to watch the news. I really don't want to know about it. Yeah. yeah. Nah, fair enough. Look, there's about um, almost 700 cases a day at the moment. The issue being... Um, that I don't really want to, I don't really want to, I'm not going to bad mouth anyone and I'm not just going to sort of make any hazard guesses, but really there's a lot of people in the area that I live in who are disadvantaged, who are low socioeconomic and, um, you know, they also live in very big families and there's a lot of ethnicities. So there's that big family unit, there's, you know, the tribal sensibility of what do you mean? Uh, my mum and my dad are sick. What do you mean I can't go over to their house and take care of them? And this is the issue with the West because, you know, a lot of ethnic people live there. We have that tribal um, sensibility from, yep, from our ancestry. Mm. And it's just impossible for us to be able to stare the heck at home and not go out and not pass this virus on to other people. And that's the issue here in Southwest Sydney. There's a lot of movement in between households. You know, there was a huge eruption where 30 people um, were, they they got the virus because mm. they were at a wake. Mm. Um, and, you know, just it's all of that type of stuff. It's just the inability for families to stay away from each other. People really need to work. They're very disadvantaged here as well. Mm. So people sneaking out and, and trying to make money any way they can. Um, and suffice to say, when this type of stuff was happening in the East, uh, you know, <laughs> the cases weren't as high, obviously, because there wasn't such huge movements amongst the families, but there was no lockdown then and the, the restrictions weren't as as heavy-handed and as big. So it's pretty scary. We've got a lot of people, a lot of young people who are in hospital. Um, there have been some, like a couple of students, um, you know, from our area that we're aware of who are under the age of 16 who are hospitalised. So it, it's quite real. It's a, it's a pretty scary thing. However, looking at the stats, recovery is a lot higher than death, yet the long-term effects of having COVID, um, you know, leads to a, a bit of an unhealthy lifestyle and it's, it's, it's just a relatively new disease. So mm. nobody think, knows um, what, what it's going to be like. Yeah, I think it's a whole bunch of fake news personally and I also think oh, yeah. that the... <laughs> The worst part of all that is, um, so I'm going to completely override everything you've just said then. <laughs> so thank you for your yeah, input. Back at home. Yeah, thank, you, okay. thank you for your input. However, I'm not yeah, buying yeah, the cheers, BS. Cheers. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think what, what is more scary is the um, if they do the mandate of a vaccine that, you know, is not hasn't undergone 
extensive clinical trial and I think that's where people need to really preserve or reserve their right to really question it before taking it, not just put their hand up and throw themselves into it, you know, for the sake of no jab, no job or no travel, that sort of thing. So do your research, Mm -hmm. ask the questions, ask... There's a whole bunch of questions that were sent to me about what to ask your employer should they enforce that onto you because it actually stems into discrimination. Uh, And then also if they can't provide you with that information, then they legally don't have a right to sack you. So I really do pray that those in Parliament fight against the mandate of the vaccine and it gives everyone what they were already given and that's human rights. So my biggest fear is them taking away our human rights and um, with that said, let's get stuck into the show because then it's going to become a, a political um, shit fight. Hope you're loving the episode so far, but stay tuned as we're about to unpack the juicy bits. This short ad break is proudly sponsored by my friends at Gravity Colon Therapy located in Brisbane and Southport on the Gold Coast. If you're feeling really backed up, struggling with constipation, which is leading you to not really being able to think clearly, then I suggest it's time you got your pipes cleaned out. These guys are the only place in Queensland which offers the Woods Gravity method of colonics, which is the safest, most comfortable and effective method of colonics out there. So to book your first session, visit Gravity Colon Therapy therapy.com.au to get 25 bucks off your first visit and let the owner Christy know that Amanda sent you. Okay, back to the show. Oh my God, if you're just joining back, um, so Sherry didn't rudely hang up, her phone just cut out. (laughs) Oh dear. Okay, enough political bullshit. Let's get stuck into it. Let's talk about why straight women or why gay women like to chase straight women. I'll let you kick it off. What do you think it is? Because neither of us are straight. <laughs> yeah. So this is going to be interesting. That's right. But only one of us is quite gay. That's it. Yeah. That's right. Um, I f- like I first came across it, like the whole gay women chasing straight chicks, um, with, uh, you know, befriending an ex of yours whose wife was straight Mm. Uh, allegedly so yeah your ex that we're mutually friends with that lovely darling yep um so you know when when I met her and she was telling me all about her relationship she she was like oh yeah no my my wife was straight she was like Mm. straight as a straight as a ruler Mm. all that kind of stuff and I was like oh that's you know really interesting Mm. but then um as I got to know a lot more women in the gay community it was just like it was rife and I I think now maybe I remember why I was so interested in this topic because at the time I was just like, hello, I'm here. Like I know that I'm not, you know, your version of gay, but I'm not also entirely straight. Like I can have a relationship with you, but not, not interested. We're either going for the gay women or we're going for the straight women and I'm just there going, what the shit is going on? And why would you do that to yourself? Mm. I have a girlfriend um, who loved this chick and actually she um, listened to all of your episodes last week and she mm. is in love. So now she's a huge fan. Oh, fantastic. Um, cool. Yeah. And I've got this girlfriend that I went to high school with. She's my best, best, best friend. Mm. And, um, you know, for her, she's always chased straight chicks as well. And mm. I'm just like, babe, like I don't get it. What do you like? And so, you know, enough about me. It's not really my perspective that's super interesting. 
I want to know mm. why what gay happens? women chase straight chicks. Like, is it just this, the thrill of the chase? Is it just being, like, enthralled? Are you bored? Is it because you really want to turn like a straight <laughs> chick and be like, hey, 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 my dick is that good? You know what I mean? What is it? Well, if you fucking shut up, it. I can tell you, all right? Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> okay. I just might. <laughs> all right. So, look, I could tell you from my perspective, um, for me personally, I think it comes down to a few things. So it comes down to intellect, it comes down to maturity, it comes down to style and the way a woman carries herself and the way she obviously talks and presents herself and then there's the challenge aspect of it too. So if I look back to, I guess, and then there's the psychological part of it. So if I look back to the very first straight girl that I fell in love with, mm. I was only about 11 or 12 and we were on holidays and there was this young girl there. And, you know, where we used to go on holidays, Port Arlington in Victoria, you know, you had the Maltese people, you had the so Greeks, pretty. you had the Italians and then you had all the Aussies, right? Mm. And I remember like we were kind of part of the, the Maltese sort of, not really, but we kind of floated around different groups. We were friends with kind of all the groups. And I remember like in this Greek group, there was this young, she was like two foot nothing, but she was the cutest little thing ever. Green eyes, long mousy brown hair, big lips, cute voice, like just massive boobs, just well proportioned. Anyway, at 11? Oh, at 11, I had it all going on. I was being ripped off. Oh, mate, I just knew, <laughs> I knew what I wanted at that age. <laughs> no, I, I, no, look, I believe you. I'm just like, at 11, huge boobs, because anyone who knows me knows that I have like this crazy issue with my breasts. But anyway, well, I Where were you when going. I was 11, doll? Jeez, <laughs> oh, I had none. Like, there was nothing at 11. Yeah, I wouldn't well, have interested you. Mate, this girl was like a double D at, at like 12 or 13. So it was insane. Oh. Anyway. Um, she's just very sexy she was very sexy even for her age 12 13 whatever and um I just I was just I tripped over myself over this this person and just like those butterflies it was like a whole butterfly pen was in my stomach every time I saw her and just insane so I guess a lot of it comes down to from the psychological rejection of our parents, that unrequited love. So if we ever feel a sense of rejection from our parents or something that seems unattainable, I think from a psychological perspective, that's where gay women can confuse um, fantasy with reality. So the fantasy side of it comes a lot from movies as well. So if we look Mm. at Hollywood and how they how they depict like a love story, a lot of the time they depict like a man, for example, very needy and will do anything to try and chase a woman and then in the end the woman just gives in. Well, in reality Uh that's not the case. Uh So I think growing up I used to watch these movies and go, if I just do this, she'll fall in love with me and it couldn't be further from the truth. So I used to chase her, I used to want to hang out with her, I used to ring her and probably did all the things that a stalker does right? <laughs> Come off You're as a bit crazy. of a needy, needy stalker <laughs> back then. Yeah. And, and again, we do that because on these TV shows, it's like, well, hang on a minute. Well, if that's how it's depicted, then that's how it must be. Uh, and mm. we don't know any better because at that age, that's all we did is we watch movies and shows and, you know, the, the people that write these scripts, unfortunately, are probably guys that were nerds in high school that really didn't pick up much. And then they, you know, they get into script writing and, you know, they build their fantasy based on what they couldn't achieve in their own reality. 
And a lot of the 60s movies, for example, like you had men were men. You know, men were dominant in these 60s movies. The, the women were more submissive. So the roles were very much, um, I guess, what, what when we're looking at male and female sexual polarity, and that's very present in same-sex or opposite-sex relationships, so mm. long as there's a male and a female energy there, you know, the, mm-hmm. I guess a, a more tomboy female is naturally going to be more attracted to someone who's like a straight female who's got long, beautiful hair, who dresses like a girl, you know, whereas a lot of lesbians confuse mm. their dress code with, I don't know if I'm a girl or a boy. I dress like mm. this and I feel like this. And and I guess maybe for some lesbians it's like it's a put-off. For me it's a mm. put-off. Like I don't want to date someone that looks like Avril Lavigne. Um mm. You know, like a skater boy type thing. It's I if I'm a, I want a woman. Mm. I want a woman that dresses like a woman, that talks like a woman, that can be a lady on the street and a freak in the sheets and all that sort of stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, but also it comes down to confidence. And for me, I find gay women in general very confused in who they are, whereas I find straight women more so, more often than not, know who they are. And that's more attractive to someone who's more confident. And that's where you'll find a lot of these boyish-looking lesbians who are quite confident in who they are, regardless Mm. of the fact that they're quite masculine. They pull these straight-looking chicks, no hesitation, because they, you know, they have that self-awareness and that, for a straight female, is still attractive because they still get the, the male I guess that male energy, that balance, and it still allows them to be a feminine, still allows them to sit in their feminine. So in some ways it can work. I think when a lesbian just really sits strong in who she is, she's got slightly more masculine energy. The question is, will the relationship stand the test of time with someone who has never, ever been with a woman before? Uh, Yes. Not too sure. If they've – look, I don't think – there's many women out there that have never kissed a girl, right? More, most women have either done something with a woman, whether that's through a marriage, whether they, you know. They've experimented in some way. Yeah, they kissed their girlfriends in high school or they yep. had a drunken passion at a nightclub one day. So a lot of females in general are very curious. So so long as there's a bit of that, there's a, I think mm-hmm. there is potential to withstand some form of a relationship. And mm. like I'm, I'm currently in a relationship, and I've been in a relationship with someone else, where these women are very similar in the sense that they've both hooked up with women in the past, never mm-hmm. had a relationship with a woman, but just the fact that they are attracted to women is enough to get them over the line to look at something long term. So it's enough question? for you. <laughs> so what you're saying to me, okay, because you've unpacked a lot here, Amanda. Thanks. Um, okay, there's a lot that you've unpacked. Yeah. Just on your last point. So what you're saying is the attractiveness of a straight woman for you or – no, let's let's shoo away the attractiveness. It's kind of like where you find that you're most confident mm. is when you chase a straight woman but you find – out that oh okay so that woman is bi curious she's had some kind of a fling she's interested in girls mm. she may have never really had a serious relationship so you're just like okay sweet fair game this I can go for this I can pursue this mm. um, and not be completely devastated that it's not going to go anywhere because I'm fairly confident in my uh, spirit fingers that I will win this lady over right 
Um, Is this what I'm hearing? Oh, look, it, it just comes down to attraction. So regardless of whether they're gay or straight or bi, I don't think that mm. really matters. I think what matters is am I challenged enough? Am I attracted to you? Do I like the sound of your voice? And if I do, then I guess however many female partners you've slept with is neither here nor there. Uh-huh. But historically I've found that uh, like I have hooked up with, you know, very lesbian lovers in the past um, and have been equally as crazy about them as I have about you know, more bisexual, more straighter women. So I don't think mm-hmm. – I guess back then I my standards were different. My dress code was different. You know, I had less self-awareness, less maturity. Um, although I've always been mature for my age, mm. I just think That's I true. had less standards back then. Whereas now I think I look at the qualities and the values in a person mm. and if they're attractive, well, then that's a bonus on top. You know, mm-hmm. but if they got excellent communication, like, okay, I've been in Gold Coast now for, I don't know, what, eight, nine months, give or take. And I've hooked up with a variation of bisexual um, and gay women. Mm. No straighties. I won't waste my time with a straight woman. If I think they're attractive, whatever, I'm not going to try and push shit up a hill either. So I think, again, it comes back to having self-awareness that mm. if you know that they're not really into women, don't waste your time. Don't be that that guy, you know, but that comes down to self-worth. So self-worth is going, all right, well, I'm not going to chase something that is so unattainable. So then it's finding that happy medium. And that's where I think you're going to have more luck with someone who's had a couple of experiences versus Mm -hmm. someone that is just curious, never done it before. They might hook up with you, but the chances of them sticking with you long-term are probably going to be slim to none. And there you go. So it really comes down to um, so it, so it comes down to where you're at and where that person's at. That that kind of drives your confidence in whether you foresee that this chase is worthwhile or not. Um, mm. And there was something that you said earlier, like to, going back to you, you know your first crush when you were eleven. Because my first crush, when I became aware of um, my sexuality was when I was five and I was an immigrant, right? Like, so started quite young. Okay. Don't laugh, Biatch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I was there playing I'm, with my Barbie and all of a sudden this no, gorgeous immigrant walks in the door. Oh, it wasn't even that. I, um, <laughs> I think I was in prep or grade one at this stage because I don't really have a memory of prep because that was like a huge developmental stage for me coming yeah. from Egypt, um, not knowing any English. And then like by grade one, I could speak fluent English and whatnot. Mm. So I think I was it was grade one and I remember we were in assembly and I'm just sitting there and I'm watching this lovely girl um, who – I think was was five at the time playing mm. the violin. Her name was uh, her name was Colette. I remember her name as well, actually. Um, and she was blonde, Cute. you know, mm. blonde, blue eyes. Just this, she looked like a doll. Yeah. She looked like the dolls that I used to have. So that's something like stirred in me, and and I wasn't really certain what that was. But after yeah. playing with a lot of girls. Um, I just, you know, was aware that I'm I'm quite fascinated with girls. Mm. There's a fascination there. Um, I'm wondering if if this is because, you know, your first crush 
can just be inherently straight when you're a bisexual or a gay woman. Mm. Like not in these days, I think like I know I'm noticing with um, my one of my friends, you know, daughters, she is growing up uh, there. There's just so much positivity in her school community and in her friendship group where they're very accepting of, you know, the gay community and the students who are coming out and whatnot. Yeah. And she's exploring her sexuality as well. She's, um, you know, she's in high school. Mm. And for her, well, her first girl crush is also, you know, bisexual. It's also that way. But our first girl crushes were not. And I wonder if it's because it just wasn't around back then and maybe that just goes goes back to the time you know, and I think, maybe, um, maybe that's gonna, something that just sticks. I'm going to cut in there. So I think when, you know, young girls look up to mm. straight women, I think a lot of that comes to a little bit of idealisation. So mm. we can probably look to women and go, you have something that I, I lack and I look up to you and I confuse that with I'm crushing on you. So maybe we we develop a slight obsession with this person because – you know, they carry themselves, they talk, they laugh in a certain way, they dress in a certain way. We lack a certain confidence and therefore we confuse right. attraction with we just lack confidence and we just we really <coughs> love what they're about. And when I go back to that young girl that I had a massive crush on back in the Port Arlington days, mm. it got bad to the point where it was such an unrequited uh, situation that I tried to take my own life over it when I was 17. That's horrible. So, yeah, but, you know, a lot of that came down to just the rejection from my parents, me having really low Mm. self-worth and Mm. going, she has everything that I wish I had. She has this beautiful sense of confidence. You know, you can see that she's loved and adored by her mum, her family, her, you know, her friends and things like that. It's not to say that I didn't have elements of, of that, but I didn't feel it in myself. So I looked, you know, as time went on, I thought to myself, I actually just really love who she is as a person. And I kind of confuse that with, you know, I'm so obsessed with her, but actually it was probably on the borderline of a single white female situation, (laughs) right? You were idolising her. 100%, 100%. And I'm sure, you know, if people out there are listening, please drop me a line on um, Instagram at amanda.m.mikolov and let me know if you actually relate with that, resonate, Um, because – you know, we can look at it from a superficial level, but when we dig into the psychology behind it, and I, again, speak from pure experience, mm. um, and as you develop that self-awareness in time, a lot of those pennies will drop in time and go, oh, my God, it wasn't real love at all. Mm. You know, it was such – it was just admiration. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm I'm watching – you know, I, I get to see that – it. I have um, some gay girlfriends mm. who who engage in this type of behaviour as mature women, you know, hitting our 40s and, dare I say, um, and I'm just like, okay, so you've known that you're gay for a while and the way that you choose to come out or how you feel about your sexuality is yours, not taking that away from you, but why are you still chasing these straight women, you know, is that some kind of a self-sabotage? Um, you know, what is it about the gay community that frightens you? What is it about a bisexual, the bisexual community that frightens you? Why are you still chasing gay women? And I feel that it's uh, like it's it's such a negative 
it's like a negative thing to do to yourself. Um, I'm not sure if I'm explaining myself properly. So what you're saying is Mm. some people fear being in the gay community. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Look, I I I think that's what I'm getting at. Yes, actually, because um, I have a girlfriend who, you know, doesn't. We we'd go gay clubbing or we'd go to the strippers, you know, have a bit of fun or whatever. And then, you know, it'd be like, oh, babe, um, let me set you up with this girl. Mm, I just want to meet someone normally, like just normal. I, look, I appreciate that. I hate getting set up with people. It never works. Mm. Oh, some of the things, some of the people that people try and set me up with, I'm like, are you kidding me? That's not even close to being my type, you know? <laughs> not even close. Yeah. Like, thank you. I love the intention, but, yeah. like, I'm not attracted to Is it to your that gay person. friends or your straight friends that try and set you up? Just people in general. Like they have, right. um, you know, they have someone in mind and I'll go, fuck, you are not even on the money if you tried, you know. Mm. Um, and I don't know, just – and it's not, it's not being unrealistic. I mean, I don't have an issue with, you know, pulling someone who – by social standards, ticks quite a few boxes. I haven't always Mm -hmm. got it right, Um, you know, just being blindsided or, you know, just in time they, that you know, the truth unveils. But, you know, for the most part at the start, um, I think I do a pretty half-decent job at, you know, pulling a woman who is really attractive, got her shit together, you know. So, and then in time you sort of, you see a person for what they are. But, you know, if I look at sort of my current partner, um, there's so much about her value system which I really respect. Um, mm. And at first I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I was like, hmm, you know, is this person too closed off? How are they like with expressing themselves? But as time goes on and I'm allowing this person the space to just sort of open up in time, um, there's more warmth to her than she initially presented. And it's beautiful to watch her unfold in time. Um, and to look at her physically, she's, you know, very straight looking, um, very well proportioned in all the right places. Very uh, she's sexy. a goddess, can I just say. She really is. Like, to your listeners, really just goddess, yeah. goddess. Jeez, she's I mean, she stunning. was carved out of clay, this woman. She's stunning. <laughs> <laughs> oh she is God. beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And, you know, yeah. when you get to a point in life where – you are, you know, you know who you are as a person. You're very confident. You're not an arrogant, cocky son of a bitch. You know, you're you're a good person. You, um, you know, you chase your your mission and purpose in life, and you sort of don't compromise on that. But you're also patient and understanding. And then you have a non-judgmental side. You can really attract a quality, high quality partner in your life. And when we're talking high quality, that's when you can start to look at those women that probably. Um, they're, they're hanging around those straighter circles because, yeah. you know, where you don't have to go to the gay scene where it can be quite toxic and, you know, everyone's slept with everyone. And I understand why some people would be put off by wanting to associate themselves in that and they yeah. want to be with someone that, you know, it can it can feel very normal as the people like to say, I just want a normal relationship with someone who is relatively normal and that means I don't want some fuckwit who's been in the gay scene that has fucked everyone in that (laughs) scene and who's a little bit sort of, you know, a little bit fucked up, a little bit narcissistic. I really don't want someone like that. Cool. Yeah, no toxicity and I think the word that we're looking for here is wholesome. 
Um, yeah. I think when it comes down to gay women who are, you know, from from our hood, who who we kind of know, um, they're really looking for very wholesome, deep family oriented relationships. Those types of connections, they want that family unit. They they want that house mm. with the white picket fence and you know, and the one point five kids and the dogs and yeah. all of that. Do they shit. know, Sherry? Like, do they? Does everyone want that? I though? mean. I mean, you know, the 1.5 kids can look like whatever to, to some people. It's it's just really about that family unit. Um, and think, families look, are created however way you want. Well, yeah, that's it. Family means different things for different people. Um, right. I personally, I, I'm mm-hmm. personally not chasing the 2.5 and the white picket fence. I just want someone mm. who, you know, we complement each other and we're happy. Whether we elope yeah. or not doesn't really yeah. matter anymore. Getting to an age in life where that's sort of not really here nor there. If I can hold, if withhold a relationship that's healthy, I think that's mm. that's something to really work towards, and not worry about the marriage and then the house and don't put the horse before the cart. I can't stand mm-hmm. when people go on dates, and they're like questioning you. What are you after? What do you want? I just want you to not be a dickhead and we're good. How about that? Let's start there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, know? that's true. Start there. Not, um, oh, I, you know, I'm really looking for a relationship. Buddy, I don't yeah. even know if we're going to like each other in three months. What do you mean? Like, you know, like just. Buddy, I yeah. don't know if I'm going to like you at the end of the night. I mean, oh, hey, that's you know. It. That's it. So, this But I suppose nice. people need to lay off, lay out their expectations in, in some form or another. I just wonder how do, um, and speaking about my gay friends in particular, you know, how do you get over that? If you are not into the gay scene, if you are not interested, you know, you've outgrown that party lifestyle, you've outgrown all of that um, toxicity. You raise your standards. That's how you get out of it. How do you meet? How do you meet? a capable woman, if she, everybody looks straight to you um, or, you know, majority of the women are straight that you're chasing, how do you end up in in a, you know, in, in a relationship, in a healthy relationship where you both can you move raise forward? Your standards. Right? You, you become the person that you want to attract in your life. It's really that simple. You go to work right. on yourself. You go... You know, you prioritise your health and your mental well-being. You mm. invest into personal development. You hire a coach if you have to. You read books, um, listen to podcasts, constantly upgrade your mindset, um, work on your intellect rather than just, say, the outside even. But if you can work on both at the same time, mm-hmm. you become part of the 1%. You know, you become mm-hmm. that person where you can cherry pick pretty much anyone you want. And then you have the ability in time to go, well, I work on more of an energetic level now and if we vibe, we vibe. And if you are a 10 out of 10, well, that's a bonus on top, you know. Mm -hmm. But you can be like, I guess anyone can be attractive, but when you have self-awareness, it's like their attractiveness should never be enough to keep you fighting for them if they're a dickhead, you know. Mm -hmm. And – Pretty, you'll have the, I guess, the capacity mentally and spiritually to look at them as you go through and you navigate the dating world with this 10 out of 10 
but you can see red flags, you'll really assess pretty quickly whether this person's worth actually wasting your time on or not, regardless if they're straight, regardless if they dress well. If they're a head fuck, see you later. Mm-hmm. And it's having that confidence to walk away and go, well, no, these are my standards. It's been a good time, but thank you very much. I'm on to the next. And then when you're getting over that person, your ability to get over them is a lot quicker than when you lack the self-worth. So when you lack self-worth, you know, you fall into a heap and you, you know, you lose all any confidence you had, you start to really lose it even more while you're going through that grieving stage. So that's why I say always go to work on you. I say that because I've been that girl on the other end where I used to put women on pedestals and I used to, you know, oh my God, I used to look at other people and think, oh, this person's so unattainable. How do I get to that world? How do I become that person? And I've now become the person that I used to look up to when I was younger. Oh, I love that. Isn't that wonderful? You know, and it's such a beautiful place to be into. Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. I walk through, I used to walk through a a shopping centre and have crippling anxiety. And Mm. now I think, I'm that girl that everyone looks at when I walk into a shopping centre, not because of being on TV, but because they sense the energy, they sense the confidence. Mm. And that's, it's, it's a quiet confidence. It's like having that beautiful power within yourself. People say to me, you're a very powerful woman. Sometimes I laugh and go, but a powerful woman, doesn't a powerful woman wear like a power suit and sit in a CEO chair? No, she doesn't. You know, that's how it's depicted in movies. But in Mm -hmm. reality, a powerful woman could be wearing a tracksuit, but how she deals with situations and people and how she communicates, right, when you harness that power, you can have whatever the fuck you want in life. You really can. Well, you've given me a lot to think about there. <laughs> I think you just took your <laughs> breath away for a moment there. I think you did. No, it's it's so true. Um, the the thing about um, your last point is just, I mean, knowing from knowing where you came from and just how much self work you've put into yourself to hear you say that you have become the person that you were always looking up to I mean that's an incredible place to be honestly um yeah your journey has been quite a big one it's been quite long and Mm. and far out I mean I know that I'm doing so much I've been doing so much self-work over the last three years I'm not there yet so oh that just sent like a ripple through me and and it made me go oh god wow I can't wait until I can be in a place where I'm like yeah I am the woman that I used to look up to Mm. you know that's that's bloody incredible. Sherry, I it's- used to I used to hate myself once upon a time. I used to look at myself in the mirror and go, I know who I want to be. I'm just yeah. not quite sure who she is just yet. Like you know you wouldn't tell it. Never would have been able to to guess ever. And this is the thing, going back to high school, like because it kind of mm. all stemmed from high school. I was yeah. I was crowned most popular girl of year twelve, right? And you hated yourself. And I hated myself and no one knew wow. about it. Mm-hmm. And it all came back to my my childhood and mm. feeling rejected and feeling never good enough, you know. All because of the sexual orientation. I think it was that and I think it was birth order too, you know, always feeling second best to my sister who did everything that my parents basically. Middle child? Yeah, I was middle child to a T. Yeah. 
to a T yeah. and it's a real thing. And, you know, I really yeah. – uh, just parents in general, like the middle child – You've got a bone to pick with parents, don't you, babe? Oh, mate. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why the middle child cops it, but they just do, yeah. you know. And yeah. I think – Every child needs to be parented differently, not the same. Mm, it's, it's like true. we brought all we brought them all up the same. Well, that's the fucking problem because the problem is is that they've all got different personalities, whether you like it or not. Just because you value a certain range of values because that's what your parents taught you growing up doesn't mean that that's the right way to parent every single child, mm. right? Because everyone's learning capacity, capacity and star sign and – um, birth order and birth date and sexual uh, sexual orientation is going to have a huge influence on how they make decisions in life, and that is also responding to your way of parenting as well. Cool. So I'm not a parent, but I think it's pretty straightforward with what I've said that if parents did more self work on themselves, they would know how to parent their children a lot better. Mm, that's true. Self awareness, people. That's the key message here. Mm. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, look. I mean, just to, I guess to kind of summarise that, it's yeah. It, it's a it's a powerful place to be in when you can kind of really know when something works or doesn't work for you. And I guess what you can do after listening to this podcast is pull out a piece of paper and write down the seven top seven things that you value the most. For me. It's honesty, integrity, authenticity. They're my top three, okay? Mm. Now, maybe you can even just do your top three. And what's funny is me and my current partner, we both have the same values. And, you know, it's a good place to start. How everything else unfolds from there, it, it will be a question of how do we navigate difficulty? How do we navigate logistics? You know, she lives over an hour away, um, has a... F- you know, a couple of kids that she also has and I won't go too much into her personal life but mm-hmm. um, we do have things in front of us that we navigate quite easily together and how we navigate it easily is because I look at my mistakes from my previous relationships and I always put my work first, right, and I put it before everything else. I put it before the relationship, the importance of dating and courting my partner on a regular basis and also Mm. my social life and that's a bad way to go. So Mm. now I'm like, well, I wasn't really happy prioritising my work back then and as a result of that, two of my relationships kind of suffered even though, you know, long term our value systems were kind of different. You know, I think me prioritising myself over everything else, you know, had a detrimental impact on the relationship as a whole so now I'm a lot more patient understanding I think before I speak and I think about do you I know believe it or not I do oh stop no I, I can't I do these days yeah I never used to I used to think no go hard or go home but um true now I'm like no that can you know you can really you can't take back what you say to a person I'm going to jump in there. I, mm. I'd like to ask you a question and I'm sorry to take you back to that place because okay. when I when I watched you on Married at First Sight, it was it was really hurt. Like it was painful for me to watch. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't painful because what I was watching was like a train wreck. It was 
I, I was living that pain for you because I yeah. knew that what you were going through yeah. was so genuine mm. and I knew that those tears were real, that that frustration was real and I knew that there would have been things happening behind the scenes that, um, you know, didn't make it into the cut that the audience wouldn't have seen that drove you to do and say those things that you were doing and saying. Oh, billion um, percent, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, th- that was it like it really broke my heart watching you in yeah. pain um, throughout that experience when it was something that you really went in wholeheartedly and and just selflessly threw yourself into, just like you do with everything. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you think before you speak. Mm. There are a lot of times in that show where I thought you didn't really think before you speak. Has that did that experience sort of change your communication style, um, you know, amongst further development or is or did this happen before the show, before that experience? I think the show, because one thing my mum said to me before filming, yeah. she goes, always think twice before you say anything Yeah, because they will use whatever they want for the final edit and once you say it, you can't take it back. So That's right. I will argue that I, th- I premeditated everything I said before I said it. So I was always one step ahead of being in front of the camera. So I thought Mm -hmm. to myself, what are the five questions they're possibly going to ask me right now based on what's just happened on camera? Because as they pull you away for your individual voxies, right? Mm -hmm. So they're your one-on-one interviews with the camera. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, this has just happened. We've just had a fight. They're going to pull me away for a one-on-one interview. What are they going to ask me? And I always used to think, how am I going to answer it? So I'd always have my answers ready to go. So I was very prepared for everything. Yeah. So I don't think there was anything there that I, th- I regret kind of saying because I, I was always well aware. And from there, from filming, that's where I was like, well, you – like." Definitely always think twice now about you're what you're going to carry it across, right? And then, yeah. you know, after the show, then there was all um, you get your big following and you have a large audience watching you every day. So, therefore, yeah. again, I had to be very careful with what I said because what I would say without the big following didn't really matter. But the same thing said with the big following can be thrown way out of context. Before mm. you know it, you're then on the front cover of every digital magazine and then you've got all the trolls coming hard for you because you said something that was polarising and it pissed a few people off. So mm-hmm. it's like it made me even more self-aware in the sense that, okay, what's really going to matter from here on? Is it important if it's said at all? Is it better if I just shut my mouth? Mm. You know, what's really what really needs to be said and what doesn't need to be said? And I'll give you a really fucking good example of self-preservation. So I've recently had a friend of mine who is literally upped and left for overseas, right? We have never had a a direct falling out. I've noticed Mm. this person has gradually pulled themselves away, right, for no good reason. From yourself? Just, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, We've never had a direct argument. We've always had a good time together. This person has upped and left overseas, hasn't even said goodbye. And I thought to myself, don't even bother chasing them. Because if they didn't have the sense to actually 
say, hey, I'm going, let's catch up for a drink or dinner or something. I just think some people are just not worth wasting your breath on. Like Mm. when people want to leave your life, just let them go. Let them go gracefully and enjoy the time that you shared together. Um, No hate, whatever. But, you know, back, back in the day I'd be like, So, you know what, like, why the fuck have you done this? Why is this happening? Like, I'd be so protective of my friendships that I'd always find the need to want to fight for everything. Whereas now I'm like, you know what, if that's what you want, good riddance, good luck to you. Um, Because I just don't care enough anymore. I don't care enough to the point where I sacrifice my own happiness to have to get to the bottom of everything. Sometimes the bottom of everything is what's already in front of you. And that is not necessarily having the direct fucking black and white answer in words. It's just going, no words is all words. It's everything you need to see right now. Make sense? Makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling that. So, yeah. Yeah, so I've just – I have learnt the hard way, (laughs) definitely, Mm. that um, some things are just better left unsaid. Um, Yeah, it really resonates with me. Yeah, and I don't know, those sayings are there for a reason. So obviously Mm. there is power in that. Um, And I guess it it comes down to how much energy do you want to invest or waste into someone? Um, And it's like with this whole COVID thing, like the more we dig down the rabbit hole, the more exhausting it can actually be. And Mm. then it forms part of our reality. And then, it, you know, like I've been on both ends of the spectrum where I was doing – all this research and I have a you know a strong enlightenment of what's really happening um I don't impose that on other people so much um I don't I choose not to watch news because I mean from start to finish for I could be watching it all day and all day they'll talk about one topic only um you know so for me it's like well I'm in a position where I have freedom I'm not in lockdown my business is thriving and that's all because of what I choose to focus on as well correct yeah. So I know people that are here in Queensland that are focusing on like they're in a solid lockdown and it's like, well, you're probably limiting your, pardon me, your abundance right now because you're focused so solely on something that doesn't truly, truly, truly affect you right now. Like just control what you can control. You can't control when someone decides to just up and fuck off overseas and not decide to actually reach out to you. You can't control that. If they don't like you enough to reach out to you, even though you thought your friendship was solid, good fucking riddance. See you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. That's it. Yeah, and and the thing to remember with that is is that a lot of the times we confuse people's – conditions with our own Um, but you know that that person like you left that relationship gracefully or that friendship which is also a relationship you left that friendship gracefully Um, but that is that person's pathology that person has has finished that this friendship doesn't serve you anymore Mm. and that's their condition so it's it's a lesson I always believe that people come into your life to teach you certain things um about yourself and, and to teach you really important lessons about your growth and development. You mm. know, I regret, I, re- I, I don't anymore. I mean, I, I, there, was a, there was a period where I regretted so much of my past and so much of the period um, that, you know, where that you kind of fell into, um, nothing to do with you really, but it was everything else that was going around. But to be honest, it wouldn't have um, – 
led me down this path of, you know, trying to become or aspiring and working hard on becoming that woman that I used to look up to all the time, as you said much earlier. So it is really important to understand that when somebody exits your life and as painful as it can be, that is their pathology and it's not yours and it takes a lot of work to have Mm -hmm. to step back from that. I've had things like that with – with some of our mutual friends as well, where it's just like, holy shit, we were connected at the hip, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, dude's got a missus and an apartment. When did you buy an apartment and yeah. a new job and all of this stuff? Yeah. And and holy shit, like I haven't been included in any of, you know, in, in any, any of, of your that. Wings. And why? And, <laughs> you know, and, and God, I would love to. I'd love yeah. to be so happy for you, but I'm I'm not. And it's just like, well, that time has come. Yeah. And it took me a really long time. That particular friendship, um, in fact, it took me a really, really, really long time to be able to just let go. Uh, and you know, even when his father passed, um, and I mean we grew up together, and when his father passed maybe I'm a shit person, I didn't have the heart to say anything to him because when I was going through just the worst and, you know, I wanted to, you know, I had have had suicidal ideation as well over the last couple of years because of the previous relationship I was in um, and the abuse that I kind of endured, um, he was really nowhere, his support was nowhere. Mm. Um, but instead I, you know, contacted his mum and was like, hey, I'm so sorry for your loss and, you know, I'm thinking of you and I'm thinking of your son and mm. and so on and so forth um, because it's like what am I going to do? I'm going to feel fake if I contact him at that time and I haven't heard about anything that was – great going on in his life does that make sense it's just sad that you know a friendship can end and there's no reason that it's ended that's Mm. that's the i think that's where we kind of like some people always need closure they always need an answer and i've just learned that and this is through the art of letting go and it's such a it's a buddhist theory that when we just let things flow, go with the flow, that's what going with the flow means. If we argue that, we're stopping that flow. We're questioning that flow. And when we stop that flow, that's where it stirs up our emotions because, you know, it brings out anger, it brings out injustice and we want answers. And if we don't get what we want to hear, then it pisses us off even more. And sometimes ignorance is bliss. What we don't know doesn't hurt us. So okay. You know, if we just go, okay, you know what, when I look at how this person started to act and I kind of look at things of, you know, was this person really conducive to my growth? They were to a point. But as I started to get back into full-time work, for example, and, um, you know, back into the fitness industry and, you know, was that person's values really aligned with what I really am about like I came here and I'm just using myself an example Sherry not to take it away from you but Mm, back to this person that's gone overseas for example you know this person was on the other side of the spectrum we had a lot of fun this person was you know loved to party you know loved to get on the bags whatever um that you know at the core of who I am that's not really who I am 
But I did kind of come here and didn't want to get straight back into work. I was happy to just explore the GC, go out on the weekends, have a bit of fun. If that person wanted to get on the bags, you go nuts. You know, you do you. That's fine. Um, Just don't throw it in my face and we're good. Um, But, you know, like, again, I don't judge people. But, you know, once I got back into, you know, working and the podcast and radio, where was that person? That person... That person's support became less and less and less because it wasn't about just party, party, party. Like it was work hard Monday to Friday on the weekends. Yeah, no worries. Let's go to dinner. Let's do this. Let's do that. But as my life evolved, the friends I now have around me are very much career driven. They value, you know, having to work hard Monday to Friday. But on the weekends, mate, we we all switch off and we're all like, okay, what are we doing this weekend? Where are we going you know, let's go and not talk about work on the weekend. Let's just go and have fun. We don't need to get shit-faced to have a good time. We've all got good jobs. We're all mature. We're not dickheads, you know, and we're all aligned with each other. So, and I look at my friendship circle now and I think there's less drama now with these people than when I first got here in the GC and I look at the crew I first had and I thought these guys are like my brothers, but in actual fact they were worse than fucking some of the 20-year-old females that are out there there was more drama with them than there is now so now those that have now exited my life I just think I love what we had but you served your time and you would not suit my life right now for where I'm at and that's okay that's right absolutely and sometimes it's good to just be okay with having that you know that and and yeah, your point of letting go is just so important. Understanding that it's not your condition, this is somebody else's pathology. And when the friendship or the relationship no longer serves you, it really is time to let go. So is because their ab- abundance cannot follow after that, and mm. and all of the opportunities that are supposed to come to you, they'll be stagnant Definitely. because of it. Yeah, definitely. I think we're coming into an hour now, Shez. I think we might we sure wrap are. it up. We'll leave them hanging for the next episode. So, guys and gals, thanks again for tuning in. Um, Sherry and I, we will jump on as a regular duo on the podcast. So, stay tuned. We, Her and I are going to brainstorm some ideas. But if you have anything that you want to hear, um, by all means, DM it to myself. I'll sit with Shez and Shez and I can shoot the shit and decide what the next topic will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but You're yeah. a resident Muslim bisexual <laughs> on the Empowered Women's Podcast. Here at your service, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and I just lo- I love that you actually have a lot to say about a lot of things. So it's great. You're good. You're you're good to jump on and chat with, so it's fun. Oh, thanks, kiddo. No, it's always a pleasure guest bagging with you. Always such intellectual conversations. We can just sit there rattling for hours. Hashtag stimulating. So good. (laughs) And with that, I will let you finish your segment. (laughs) Done. Ladies and gents, thank you so much for jumping on to this week's episode. You know where to find us, Google, Spotify, and also iTunes. Um, You can give us a rating on the iTunes app. Uh, if not, most people are sort of listening through Spotify. 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 There you go. <laughs> Spotify minus the L. You can find all those links in my social links on my Instagram. That's at amanda.m.mikolaf. That's an F for Fred on the end of that. Uh, thanks yet again. Love your guts. And we'll catch you on next week's episode. Music.